0: Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. It is officially time to begin one of my favorite exercises we do here at CR, a tradition that began last season, but one we hope to carry into each and every college tennis season moving forward. That, of course, is an exercise we refer to as NCAA Press Row, where I attempt to speak with each of the remaining 16 men's and women's head coaches prior to the start of the NCAA tournament round. Of 16. Now, each of these conversations you'll hear over the next few days will be relatively similar in format. I want to talk to each of these coaches about their NCAA opening weekends, what allowed them to advance to this NCAA Sweet 16. Then I want to recap the season, where things stand. I want to talk about each team's best win of the year, the match they perhaps would like to replay the most from the course of the season. We'll talk about the team MVP, the most improved players that have made the success possible for all of these teams this season then of course I got to pick the coaches brains about some big picture topics I want to talk about the super regional format going to the top eight seeds for this round of 16 versus the traditional all sweet 16 matches are played at one location format what do these coaches prefer still very early in the exercise of determining if the super regional is worthwhile but always fun to hear the coaches initial reactions and then of course we'll try to preview all of these sweet 16 matches I will try to coax as many match calculi as I I can from each of these coaches, what is their pathway to four points? How do they project their team's success moving forward throughout the NCAA tournament? We'll talk about all of that and so much more. Again, have a jam-packed week of content prepared for all of you listeners as we get all of you ready for the 2022 college tennis season's home stretch. Of course, you're going to be able to find each of these conversations both here on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed as well as on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, you will also hear the same intro-outro on each of these podcasts. I do apologize for that fact. Just makes life a little bit easier, a little bit cleaner for both myself and super producer Daniel Westoff. But again, over the next five days, I will attempt to speak with each and every men's and women's head coach remaining in the 2022 Division I NCAA tournament. Of course, the reason we're able to do that here on the Cracked Interviews podcast is because of the support we get from all of you college tennis fans out there who have tuned in week in, week out. We are immensely grateful for that fact. Also, I have to give a huge shout out to our friends at Swing Vision, who, of course, are on the forefront of all artificial intelligence innovations happening within the tennis world. If you are a college tennis head coach listening to these podcasts, if you are a player, if you are someone with high-level tennis aspirations, download the Swing Vision app today. You'll have access to more data, more things to improve your tennis game than you ever had before, all within the palm of your hand in an app on your phone. So again, learn more about our friends at Swing Vision by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast. I promise all of you, it is the most efficient way to improve your game in the modern day. A huge thank you to our friends at Swing Vision. Use that promo code CRACK20 when you sign up. But again, appreciate all of their support for this show. With that said, again, press row coming up. Going to try and speak with each of the remaining 16 men's and women's head coaches before the start of the NCAA round of 16. With that in mind, let's get to this interview. Hey, crack fans. Joining us on the podcast today is one of the legends in our college tennis game, the coach who pulled the wild card of wild cards, throwing a curveball at all of us with her submitted lineup for the 2022 NCAA tournament. Of course, a multi-time national champion. You all know the accolades. It's Stanford's women's tennis head coach, Layla Farood. Coach Farood, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks, Alex.
0: Oh, it is my pleasure to have you here today. And obviously, we have to start with the wild card. You couldn't have texted me in like December and just been like, hey, I've got this Michaela Gordon thing in my back pocket beyond the lookout. I'm just curious again, is this that's where we have to start? Is this something you knew you were going to do early in the season?
1: Definitely not. Although uh, last summer, we thought this was going to be happening. Okay. Uh, but then, uh, you know, some things came up for Michaela. Uh, she was, um, you know, she she was TAing some classes this year while she's getting her master's. She was uh, working part time for a company that, uh, you know, she, she will be working for going forward. So it really became she didn't think she could actually um, have any time to play. And, and she did not have any time to play um, for, you know since last October uh, sorry since last August to uh, to this May actually yeah so um, and then we we also um, didn't, anteci- didn't anticipate it happening really because we had a pretty full line, uh, roster as it was and then of course things start to happen and we um, you know we lost a couple players to injuries and things like that so um, by the time we were playing at the Pac-12 championships a couple of weeks ago, we were down to six players on our roster who were healthy. And at that point, I went to Michaela and I said, how's your <laughs> end of the quarter going? And she said, well, actually, I'm not that busy. And so we decided that it was something that she was going to be able to actually, uh, once we got all the paperwork done, of course, uh, that she was going to be able to um, to join the team for the end.
0: No. And obviously to have someone who's played in a national championship and been at the number one single spot and been an all American, you know, obviously not going to be the same as if she's been playing consistently, but give her a week, give her a month. And you feel pretty good about going to war with Michaela Gordon with that in mind and not to focus on her specifically, because of course I do want to talk about the rest of your team and where these Stanford Cardinals are, uh, Stanford Cardinal, excuse me, entering, uh, the round of 16. But what has that—because last weekend, she only plays in her role at the number 3 doubles spot. Has it been a slow buildup? As a former club tennis player, I was amazed and honored to hear that she was hitting with the club tennis team as a buildup to try and regain her form. What has that process been like uh, in trying to get Michaela back up to speed?
1: Well, yes. And then, yeah. you know, it's a very different level. Yeah. <laughs> and also— Um, You know, when you're playing more recreationally, you're not playing every day and you're not playing against the kind of balls that the rest of the team hits. And so, yes, there's a there's a tremendous adjustment to coming back into real practice and, and the time commitment, obviously, and the other things that go along with being on the team. But but just from the tennis standpoint, yeah, it's really different. There's a there's a, you know, even though she's a very accomplished player, you have to build back up again.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, with that build up in mind, I want to talk about what you guys were able to do last weekend, zero victories over Southeast Missouri State, as well as UCSB. And of course, that UCSB match had to feel particularly sweet given they had knocked you off 4-3 earlier in the regular season. Again, l- seeing Michaela submitted at the number five spot. Some of us certainly thought, are we going to see her in singles this weekend? And yet you had the confidence to not play her in the singles. And ultimately looking back, you know, that they were down. They take that doubles point at the number three spot to clinch the doubles point for you all. Uh, Talk to me about your team's performance against UCSB and ultimately why you made the decision to pull her from singles.
1: Well, they're a really strong team and we knew that from having played them in March and, and they won the doubles point against us in March, and we split the singles, and we wound up losing 4-3 in a really tight match. And they were, you know, they're very talented, and they're a really good team. So uh, when we saw that they were in our little regional uh, section, we uh, we knew that that was going to be a tough match if we got to that level. And they, they played a very long and arduous match, actually, with Kansas in the first round, and it, that was very... Iffy, who was going to come out of that match, both teams played really hard and it just came down to obviously the last match in a four three. So, um, you know, being ready to play, we weren't sure who was going to come through that match. Um, after we played, uh, an interesting Southeast Missouri, uh, team, uh, we didn't obviously know anything about them and they were again, a good team. And we uh, saw why they were, um, champions of their conference. Um, so the next day when it was Santa Barbara, you know, there was motivation for both teams. I think they wanted to justify that they had beaten us once at our home courts and that they could do it again. And we wanted to obviously turn the table, um, the second time around, you know, the thing with the first to four is that you could put up four O's at a really close matches. We all know that from this format. And so, um, it was, again, it was a very, um, competitive match. Uh they played very well. They were very spirited and so were we. So it was uh, it was a good battle and we just happened to uh this time we kind of sneaked the devil's point out in a very close contest and um and then we were able to put up uh some singles wins early, but again, a very competitive match.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the singles victories you all were able to earn came at the number one spot from freshman Connie Ma. And by any metric, this season has been an unequivocal success for Connie. Obviously, to you know, have, be, have a 15-5 and five record overall in dual match play as a freshman, that's damn near impossible to do at any position, let alone in the top half of the lineup. That said, and this is where I always like to add the caveat of and oh, no disrespect to any other school. Let's keep in mind, though, Connie Ma is at Stanford as a student athlete. And I know academics is something that is important to her and her family. She hit a bit of a wall there at the start of April and, you know, took four straight losses against Arizona State, the Washingtons and Cal. Ultimately, you know, that she was able to bounce back, get the victory over UCSB. What does that do for her confidence? And, you know, where do you think she's at at this point of the year?
1: Well, I think one of the intriguing things for a lot of freshmen is the length of the season and, um, and you know, it's their first time going through this really competitive thing that goes on for many months. And that doesn't even include the tournaments in the fall and all that. So there's going to be a period where there's going to, you know, things are going to happen, um, particularly to a freshman, because they just don't know what to expect with the next thing that's coming along. And in our conference, we played a lot of different kinds of environments. Um, And so, you know, when you go from altitude in Arizona and then you go immediately up to Washington and you wind up playing indoor matches, and then you, you know, are back at sea level playing uh, the conference tournament. I mean, there's a lot of different scenarios that go on. Um, So it's challenging. And I think she did hit a wall a little bit mentally And, um, but she was able to kind of, we worked hard and she kind of got her balance back and was able to kind of work her way through at a very important time, which was going into the conference championship. Yeah. So, um, so she's doing great and, you know, all the the freshmen, it's really a learning experience for them a lot the first year. Mm -hmm. And she didn't, she wasn't one because of her need to be in school, uh, regular high school and you know get her grades up for trying to do pre med at stanford um, you know she didn't play a lot of competition during the school year you know in the in high school so that made it even more challenging for her personally i think to understand what was what it was going to be about
0: Yeah, and to that point, she was so good when she walked in the door. And I want to talk about both of your freshmen, of course, as well, but just to stay here on Connie because, you know, again, to have the fall that she did. And you mentioned it. She was not someone who played a lot of tournaments in the juniors, and yet, you know, the talent has always been evident. She's someone who can do a lot of special things on a court. Have you seen improve- – just again, I'm sure this is probably the first time in her life where it's every day, where it's repetitive. And I'm curious what sort of jumps you've seen from her because of that repetition.
1: Well, she actually came in playing really well last fall.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, and she won pretty much – I mean, she won a couple of tournaments, including the regional. She won a, a UTR 25K in San Francisco. Her
0: win over Crawley she- at, the na- at the fall nationals was one of my favorite matches I saw this fall.
1: Yeah. And she played well down there and, you know, got some rounds into it. So she was actually playing quite well in the fall, but, you know, dual matches are different Mm -hmm. and everyone has to learn, you know, the difference and and they have to adjust to you're playing with your teammates around you. Now it's not an individual tournament anymore. And so, you know, there's a learning curve for everybody to that and what that means for them. Um, And so like anybody, she had to make her adjustments through the through the dual match season, and you know the doubles again, short format, one set. You know you've got a result every day during that dual during those dual matches. You either win or lose those things, and how to k- not carry it into the singles too much, and things like that. There's a lot of things to kind of figure out <laughs> as you're going through your first dual match season, and so those were. You know, those are interesting for all. Of we have three freshmen starting the entire year for us, not just Connie, but for uh, Alexander yepifanova and also for Valencia Jou. So they all had to make adjustments, learn how to deal with the things that uh, along dual season.
0: Yeah. You, I'm glad you bring up yepifanova as a prank to Michaela, where you're like, yeah, just go hit with Alex. Like, it'll be easy. Don't worry. She doesn't hit a heavy ball. And then it's just like, first forehand, Michaela's like, really, coach? That's where you're sending me for this warm-up hit? And, you know, to your uh, point on the success all of your freshmen have had, you know, Alexandra's 20-3 and three in dual match play this year in singles. That That's a ridiculous, you know, record for her. And I think she's won something like her past 10 decisions on court uh, that have been finished she was obviously a highly accomplished junior and we knew what she was capable of coming into play, but you know, talk to again, you've seen a lot of special freshmen uh, come through your, uh, during your tenure as head coach. Talk to me about what you've seen from her and what's allowed her to click this season.
1: Well, as you say, you said her record. I mean, she's been extraordinarily consistent and uh, I think her game has shown a tremendous amount of growth actually. And um, it's been fun to work with her. Um, All of, our players, but um, I've been able to work with her a fair amount and I've done her most of her matches, um, so she's you know she's got a limited potential and it's been really nice to uh, to get to um, help her, you know, realize her goals for her collegiate tennis and then hopefully in the future at another level as well.
0: You mentioned the three freshman starters. Does it ever feel like you're coaching two different teams throughout the course of the year where it's one message to the freshman, a different message to the returners? What's it been like to juggle those things?
1: Well, it, sort of, but not that dramatically. You okay. just have to remember that they haven't been through the experiences before. Mm-hmm. So you have to before road trips, mostly. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like, okay, well, we could be inside or outside in Washington. We could be, could be 48 degrees or it could be <laughs> 75, uh, make, you know, I mean, just to prepare them for what's coming because they haven't been through it. And um, so there's just kind of constant reminder, okay, make sure they understand a little bit about what's going to take place on these road trips and things like that. You know, and it's also a big adjustment for every freshman playing college tennis, how to balance the schoolwork with the tennis, how to how to make them coexist side by side and not be frustrated by one or the other. Yeah. And to, to try to do as well as you can in your academics and take the courses that you want to take, but also make sure that your tennis is not in any way suffering from what you're trying to do uh, academically. And so there couldn't be a year that's, that's more demanding and, 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 difficult than a freshman year in college and playing a varsity sport that does not have a season. The entire school year is
0: our season. Yeah, no, that's that's half the fun, right? Is that the fact that there are no weeks off in college tennis? And, you know, again, with that in mind, I want to ask some other questions about your team. I want to ask you who you think the most improved player is on your roster this season. But quickly, I'm going to give my case because I think it's junior Angelica Blake. Who has been sensational this year? 20 and four overall at the number three spot, 12 and four at that number one double spot. She's always been able to strike the ball well. And I remember seeing her at the indoors in Chicago back in 2020. And, you know, I said it, I think, then at the time, I was like, oh, it's Pliskova esque in how just easy the power is and the line drive that she's able to produce when she hits the ball cleanly. But it just feels like things have slowed down for her this year. That's always the phrase I like to turn to, where, you know, again, If A, if you don't have a weapon to kill her, uh, to hurt her with, and B, if you are not locked in from the start, she's just going to kill you. And I just, I don't remember seeing that gear from her before.
1: Well, I think you're right. She is playing magnificent tennis this year, right? I think, you know, she was part of the class, obviously, with the pandemic years, where we got canceled in March of 2020, obviously. Mm -hmm. So that was her freshman year. So. You know, she's new to the NCAA tournament a little yeah. bit, too, because we didn't even have one her freshman year. And then, uh, you know, last year, we weren't in fully in motion uh, as a team until well into March. She didn't even play a match for us until late March last year. So she only played six weeks yeah. of the entire season last year. It wasn't enough to get her up to speed and to get her playing the kind of tennis that she's showing this year. So this is her first really full campaign. Mm-hmm. And that that's part of the reason that she's playing it so well in a different level. And she's also working hard on a game. So yeah. um, a lot of things are helping her finally for it to fall into place. And, you know, maturity, things like that. Just get older, get used to things, understand college life a little better. Uh, those can help you. Play better
0: tennis too. Yeah, be no, more comfortable. Yeah. So, would she be the most improved player?
1: I think we have a bunch of people, but certainly she's right up there.
0: Yeah. Okay, I like it. Do you want? To, are you going to give me a pick, or should I just say they're all improved?
1: Um, it's tough.
0: I mean, again, look at Sarah Choi, twenty and four yeah. overall this year at six. Yeah, I think I, I the think big thing a lot is the of dubs.
1: So, yeah, I think we have a lot of people playing well. That's why it's hard for me to to decide on one.
0: No, of course, I get that. What if you were to pick an MVP? And maybe you've already given out the team awards this season.
1: We haven't. And, you know, I don't know. A lot of MVP <laughs> awards are given out at the end of a conference season because the conference has those kind of awards. And then other ones are given out at the very end because you see what people do in the postseason. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I think it's hard to... I, I, personally, I think you got to get through an entire season before you decide who the most valuable player was.
0: That, I think that's a fair assessment. That's what I like to hear. Well, with that in mind, talking about getting through the season again, Sweet 16 coming up. Before we talk about the Oklahoma match, Super Regional versus everyone at one site for the Sweet 16. Which do you prefer?
1: I strongly prefer everyone at one site. I think this round needs to be played, um, you know, the way it used to be for so long with everyone together. I think it was a better atmosphere yeah. that way. And, and you know, we have to look at the academic piece here. They're in finals, I think right now, and we are going to be on the road, the better part of, you know, many weeks playing mm-hmm. this event. At some point, uh, I think the NCAA committee and people have to look at how much school is being missed mm-hmm. uh, by this. This is a tremendous amount of school being missed uh, yeah. We had to leave here on a Tuesday to come play uh, one match here and lose, you know, four days of school. Um, whoever advances here um, is going to have to do the same thing yeah. <laughs> another four days of missed school to get to the final site. Um, on top of that, if you had to travel for the first two rounds, you missed another better part of the week. At some point, this is too much school mm-hmm. to miss, especially for us in a quarter system yeah. for 10 weeks. This is too much. Mm-hmm. And I think we've got to backtrack a little bit, hopefully, and look at why did we do this and the amount of school that's being missed. Yeah, no, I mean, as a it, result of this.
0: the quarter system in particular is what kills you guys, right? Because it is still like, as you mentioned, you're smack dab in the middle of finals, Um I mean, yeah, I guess I would offer the counter argument of you've played those 9 a.m. matches. You've played those 9 p.m. matches. Is it better for college tennis? You know, because again, at those matches, there's, and I've said this, there's 26 people, the six sets of parents for each team plus me and one other crazy person who just can't get enough of it. That's not the greatest for college tennis. And I think that would be the argument for the Super Regional, right? Is it's another home match on campus?
1: Okay, so Alex, my answer to you would be, Go to sites that can hold 32 teams with them.
0: That's what I site. like to hear. Okay.
1: Okay, there is an answer. Okay. Any no, answer I like this, this. Is why I wanted to ask. Tournament, this tournament should be played at facilities big enough to have 32 teams at the final site.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, Lake Nona is the perfect example. Like you have the Mecca, right? Why not just use it there? Hundred courts, everyone can play that. I, that to me, if it would, if it went to one site, are you fine with the no more rotating?
1: I've advocated for that for years, because I think like a lot of other spring sports, principally uh, softball and and baseball, I think we need to have a home base for college tennis. So I think it's important for people who say, well, I want to go watch, you know, the NCAA tennis tournament. Where is it? Oh, it's Champaign, Illinois, or it's, you know, this, this school or that school. I I just don't I think we've outgrown that. I think it's time to have a permanent site and say college tennis is at, you know, Lake Nona Mm -hmm. or other places that um, they could hold, you know, large draws like this as well.
0: Yeah, no, you think of places like Athens, Tulsa, certainly the facilities exist. Yeah, again, that's why I wanted to ask the question, because I enjoy hearing that argument, and I know it's one that's going to continue to persist. The other argument you would make is it's year two. Like, maybe we should give it one more year or a second year and just see how it goes, gather more data. Uh, But no, I I mean, again, it's a a conversation we're going to continue to have. All right, last batch of questions for you. The victory that meant the most to your team this season—
1: Uh, Winning, um, winning our conference tournament.
0: Mm -hmm. Just the confidence you all gleaned from that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because it's always a goal to win our conference title and um, you know, we didn't do well enough in the regular season to make that happen. And um, I think it was important to go into Ohio and, and say, okay, we've got one more chance at this conference thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought we played quite well there and it, that was a springboard to this postseason that we're in now because it's we take the conference tournament very seriously and the uh, how we do in conference is a important uh, qualifier to us on whether we're ready uh, for the postseason in any particular year. So I think that was a real shot in the arm to uh, get the conference title.
0: With that in mind, 2016, you're the number 15 seed. 2018, you're the number 15 seed. You guys are again the number 15 seed here this season. That seems to be where Stanford is always at their most dangerous. Going into Oklahoma this weekend, do you feel your team is playing the best tennis of their season?
1: I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, we've been playing well lately, so we'll we'll see how it goes. I mean, I've I liked the way that we've looked um, the last couple of weeks, so we'll see how it works out. Mm-hmm.
0: I know you have an undefeated record against Audra Cohen as both a coach and a player. With that in mind, you know, again, as you look at this Oklahoma team, what specifically are you looking for from your team to you know be able to knock off the Sooners in Norman?
1: Well, first of all, we're here in Oklahoma because they had a tremendous season, mm-hmm. and Played amazingly well, and and really, such congrats to Audra for having such an incredible playing career, and then being able to you know, get to this level at, at as a coach so quickly, and have a team that's been, you know, at the number two ranking most of the season and overwhelming win percentage. I mean, it, they've had an outstanding season. So uh, we're excited that. We're here. We've never been here before. We've been in the state of Oklahoma a few times in Tulsa, but this is our first time getting to see Norman and and we're excited to be here and we're going to play a team that's had an outstanding season. So it's going to be fun for us to kind of get a measure of where we're at right now.
0: Yeah. No, again, this is going to be one of the fun ones. And, you know, when college tennis is good, it's obviously exceptional. Feels like this weekend could be one of those exceptional weekend. All right. I have to, you know, I've wanted to ask this question for quite a bit of time. So before I let you go, you know, I was at my biggest college tennis fandom in the late 2000s, in particular early 2010s. And, you know, I, I believe it was the 2012 NCAA final where Nicole Gibbs plays Mallory Burdett in the singles final. Now, what people often forget about that is that they also won the doubles title together that season. I just want to know, what, I'm sure you've been asked before, but that singles final, do you sit back and like, you know, enjoy a metaphorical cigarette and you're just like, ah, this is beautiful. Or, you know, what are you, what are you doing? You're like, I'm not going to coach you. I'm not going to coach you. I'm I'm going to be in the chair line judging. Like what, what's going through your head there?
1: Well, first of all, um, we have practice at this. Yeah. That was probably the third or fourth of those such things, yeah. uh, in, in the time that I've of uh, in mm-hmm. coaching where we've actually had both players in the uh in the singles final. Mm-hmm. So uh so you know it doesn't happen often, but uh it has happened before for us. So uh we're very clear at the beginning of the tournament. Obviously we get through the team or whatever, but we're we're making sure everybody understands that by the way, if we have, you know if if it comes to pass in the individual tournament that anybody plays anybody on our own team, we will be you know, 50 feet or 100 feet away or top of the bleachers in Georgia um, and just spectating the match. Mm -hmm. And uh, the hard part is, and it hasn't happened that often, when those two combatants have to then get together and win a doubles title right
0: afterwards. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That is not something that's happened quite as often. And um, they were very professional about it. They got done with that match. They, you know, got some food and they said, let's go out and win a doubles title.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's what they did that day. And that's that's not easy.
0: Yeah. No, that to me is that's why I wanted to bring that up, because what people always forget fail to mention is that they did that after the singles match. And what, you know, again, I'm thinking it's 2012. Like, is it a mid match Panera where you're sitting there, strawberry banana smoothies in hand? And it's like, all right, let's go win that doubles title.
1: Yeah, you know, there's some <laughs> things that always you know, have to be a little bit talked through, but they're, sure. they're both very professional. They uh, they competed hard in that singles final. It was really an up-and-down affair, actually, mm-hmm. and uh, Gibbs came out on top, and, um, you know, Mallory also wanted to have a winning day that day, so they came out and played really well in the doubles. Where was and, the uh, other— had to go Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, right? Yep. Yeah.
0: Because it started to rain, right? Yeah, if, if yeah. memory serves me correct. Yeah, and ultimately you guys get the job done. Who were the other teammates? That uh, was it. Ninety. Was it Debbie Graham who played a team? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Where did it happen before? Was it Amber uh, Lou? Well, maybe. The ones, yeah,
1: the ones I remember well were um, uh, Laura Granville defeated uh, Lauren Calveria. Okay. In 2001, um, Laura Granville defeated Marissa Irvin in 2000 okay um and then that one in 12 Mm -hmm. i i think that's been the three that i um that i can remember
0: yeah that's gonna be that situation no, that's got to be fun, I imagine, as a coach. Yeah, you certainly, again, it's a testament to what you all have built. And, you know, again, I've got a laundry list of questions. I, I was ready to go through it, like 90 versus 91 versus 80. You know, all these different teams. 2000s. How does the, this era of Stanford compare to that era of Stanford? Now we get into the 2010s. I'm going to save that for next time because, obviously, you are focused well, we'll on this. we have week's-
1: to do that one because that will be, uh, be fun.
0: Yeah. It will lo- test
1: all my memory.
0: Oh, yeah. Good. Uh, Yeah. We'll go through it all. Again, laundry list of questions. But Coach Farouk, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Wishing you and the team luck. Uh, Again, what I'm really most happy with is that you didn't text Parsa Namadi saying, hey, Michaela Gordon's coming back before you told me. You just let the public know, hey, it's (laughs) out there. And so then I would have been offended. But in this instance, obviously just excited uh, to see your team compete. So wishing you all luck and obviously look forward to have you on the podcast again soon.
1: Thank you, look look forward to it.
0: Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with another head coach of a sweet 16 bound college tennis team. A huge thank you both to this coach and every coach for taking the time to chat with us here at Cracked Rackets. Again, trying to set the scene for all of you listeners down the 2022 college tennis season's home stretch. I've been immensely flattered by the reception we have gotten from all of these coaches who are so willing to participate in this exercise. And again, try to set the scene for all of you listeners, try to make sure you maximize your enjoyment through these final few weeks of the college tennis season. The plan here is to interview all 32 remaining head coaches. Now it's only a success if we hit all 32. So I promise you listeners, that will be our goal as that is what we were able to accomplish last season. Again, you can find all of those podcasts here on this feed. You can find them on our website, crackrackets.com. A shout out as always to super producer Daniel Westhoff on the ones and twos. He has a job to do this week, makes all of the this content possible so shout out to him shout out to our friends at swing vision as well again learn more about the swing vision app by clicking on the link in the description to this show with all of that said for our fantastic guest our super producer daniel westoff our friends at swing vision from all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you've been listening to another edition of the cracked interviews podcast stay safe stay healthy we'll talk to you all soon thanks everyone